Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Um, so last week, last week, in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we learned that the secular, what? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, that's right. Harrison, hey, props. Where you at, man? Yes. Where you at, dude? You're tiny, you're hiding. Amen. Raise your hand. It's over there. Oh, there you are. What's up, bro? Good job. That's great work. Well done. Thank you. We really appreciate that, man. Um, it's a blessing. It's, it's, it's cool to see guys growing in their knowledge of the word, isn't it? Um, last week in uh, two weeks, two, two, two weeks ago, in uh, Corinthians, uh, we learned a uh, surprising truth that the secular world thinks that Christians are crazy. So that's a big surprise <laughs> for those of you who were shocked by that information. Um, no, specifically, the passage that we read said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And I don't actually think anybody was surprised by that. For, for believers, for those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and that He rose again, uh, that is our power. That is our power. But to the world, the world, the thing that we consider to be wise, they consider to be foolish. And the, the hard and difficult truth behind that is that they perish in that belief. Right? That that... that, that Idea that concept that we are the foolish ones actually is their greatest downfall, and uh, it results in an eternity, eternity of regret. But uh, I do think it's an important reminder, even though for a lot of us that's obvious information, uh, I think it's an important reminder, and we need to understand there is a distinct difference between Christians and the world at the most fundamental level. There is a difference, a difference in how we understand wisdom a difference in what we believe is power, a difference in what we believe is good and bad. Yeah. At a very fundamental level, there are distinct differences in the world and in the church that believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the problem that we face, though, is that the church, the church gets real hurt about that. They get upset about that. right? They don't like to be rejected. Nobody likes to be rejected. right? But Christians don't like to be rejected. And because we don't have resolve as it concerns what we believe, we begin to hedge. We, we, we begin to appropriate. We be, begin to look to the world for, uh, you know, for concepts and ideas. And, and we feel the pressure to adopt worldly thinking. And I want to warn you, again, as we will throughout really this, the entirety of this book, is that that's a very slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope. And so... You have to know that we can't appease the world in this regard. We can't. There's no doing it. There's no, there's no making them happy here. All right? Uh, we can't, we can't uh, soften the blow of the cross. We can't do that. We, we can't half-step, and we can't present it in a way that's more palatable simply because it doesn't meet the expectations of our social norms. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed away my sin. That's what it's done. 
And we have to own that. And that has to make us distinct. And we are a distinct people. We are strangers and we're pilgrims in this world. Now, Paul is going to call us to embrace that reality and choose to live in light of what we know is true. That's what he's going to do today. So today we're going to look at how God has chosen to use those who are willing to embrace that foolishness to actually use them to change the world, to confound the world. And God has a plan to silence the wisdom of the lost and empower weak people just like you and me. People who don't deserve an opportunity, right? People who are, you know, just normal people. Look at us. We're just normal. Normal, ignorant, unwise, unfit, unqualified. And yet, yet, God wants to use us to confound and to silence the wisdom of this world. And that's a huge responsibility. And so we're going to try to tap into that a little bit today. Let's, let's pray and ask that the Lord would be with us, and then we'll dig in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we are grateful that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And Lord, we cannot rejoice in that fact enough. We could sing all day long, and it wouldn't be enough uh, to, to squelch the fire that burns in us. We love him so much. And our passion for him, it runs deep. And, uh, but Lord, we are prone to distraction. And uh, we, are, we are prone to see things in terms of our flesh, even, even though we might uh, ascend uh, to your power and we might uh, glory in your kindness towards us. And we know that you're ever-present. You're omniscient and, and all-powerful, and yet, in, by moment by moment, we doubt that we're useful to you. Uh, we, we get um, frustrated and disappointed in our failures. We think to ourselves that we, can't, we don't have anything figured out, and we get dejected, and, uh, and Lord, that leads us to, to not being useful for you, because in those moments, we're not yielded. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to live in your power, and Lord, to know in confidence that you've promised to use us to have, to have a, a mighty, mighty impact in this world. And so, God, we ask for your help today as we open your book. It's precious to us. Help us to see it for everything that it is. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." Now let's start here by talking about the, the, the title of today's message is the faith to be a fool, okay? And I, I want to make sure you understand it. It requires faith to embrace our foolishness. 
right? It's pride that says that we have to amount to something in this world. It's pride that says that we ought to be heard. It's pride that says that I have to be the smartest in the room. It's pride that says that I have to look a particular way or be accepted by the lost. Uh Uh-oh. You get to preaching, you know? We have to refuse that. We have to refuse that. Now, there is a refusal that we're going to talk about today before we get there, and that is a refusal of the gospel uh, that, that many, many, many people uh, do, right? They, they, they refuse the gospel. You guys see this daily in your lives as you share Christ with people. Uh, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. There's many people that don't want to hear it, uh, many, often many more than who do. Uh, you see this on your campuses at school. You see this in your workplace. You see it among your family members. Uh, you preach the gospel. You share with a very zealous heart, a, a very genuine heart, uh, hoping that people can hear you, and yet they refuse time and time again. Now, there are reasons for that that Scripture gives us this morning, and we're going to look at those. Uh, let's begin by answering the question here in verse 26 where it says, For ye see your calling, brethren. Well, what is that calling? What does that mean? Called to what? Well, the simple answer is within the context of the passage itself, as it usually is, right? The calling is to live in concord with true wisdom. Okay, well, how do you do that? Okay, verse 18 says that our salvation and our wisdom is the cross of Christ. Okay, so what is the calling? Well, the calling is the cross of Christ. The calling is our salvation. Our calling is knowing Jesus Christ and his his precious forgiveness and his acceptance, right? That's what the calling is. So when we read verse uh, uh, 26, we recognize that there are many people not inclined to receive that calling. It says, "How uh, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. There are three types of resistant people that we learn about in this passage that Paul describes for us. Who when presented with the message of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection... And his forgiveness of sin, they resist that. And they refuse this wisdom. They refuse this calling. And the first thing that we, thing that we see here is that it's the wise men after the flesh that refuse Christ. And we've already spent a lot of time, time discussing in, the, in last week and, and already this morning who those wise men are. Um, and, you know, in our world, we have, we have many different perceptions of what wisdom is, right? Um, you know, it might be that, you know, the number of letters after a person's name, right, represents their wisdom, right, PhD or whatever, master's degree and this or that, doctorate and this. And we look at that and they say, oh, that person must be wise. We do that, right? And we revere that. We recognize it. It's something in our, in our society that we rec- We say, oh, that's, that's wisdom. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, it's a pop star. You think that's funny, huh? Don't, don't laugh at that. Taylor Swift fans. I'm going there. Some of you are going to want to fight me after this. Right? Uh, some of us look to pop stars. We look to, we look to cultural influencers for wisdom. We take our cues from what they do, the way they dress, the way they say things, the things that they prioritize, the thing that they're activists over. Look, here comes the worship team. Look at this. Hey, guys, thank you. Thank you for leading us in worship today. There's not enough seats for you, though. So 
Sorry about that. There actually, there's some right over here. Just take, it, take full advantage of this moment and just come find their seats in the front. No one, no one wants the spit zone, so that'll be your designated area. Eric got a pink cupcake, by the way. But you know it. People look to, people look to pop culture for their answers. They look to these people. Uh, you know, they look to uh, LeBron James to tell them who to vote for. And so maybe, maybe wisdom is a particularly creative individual, right? We look to creativity, and we think, well, that person is creative, and, and, and they're artistic, and they might hold some greater truth or, or some sort of expertise in a certain area, or maybe wisdom. Wisdom for some people is the pursuit of money or fame, or maybe it's a political idea or a figurehead that they follow. Wisdom takes many different forms in our world, but the wise men, the wise men of this verse are the type of people whose ideology is so deeply established that they can no longer objectively hear truth or information that undermines their preconceptions. Mm -hmm. That's what these wise men after the flesh, that's how they think. They've become so hardened in their ideologies and the things that they hold to. This is... This is what happens in college, okay? So I was in youth ministry. I was in, I'm in college ministry. I taught college. I taught high school. I taught middle school. I've been around all ages of people. And this is, what, this is what we often refer to as the concrete setting on our conceptual reality, okay? So when you're in middle school, you don't even know, you don't know who you are. You don't know how you should dress. You don't even know how to, you don't even know hygiene, right? You don't even know what... <laughs> You don't even know what's going on with your very own body. But by the time you get into high school, right, you've maybe gone through some puberty at that point, and then you start realizing, okay, I think I'm figuring it out, okay? And you take on some, you know, persona. For Hannah, she was very emo. <laughs> so you got to be careful. If you had me as a teacher in high school, you got to be real careful because I can put you on blast real quick. I saw you go through this. <laughs> I saw you go through this. So, but then it changes year after year. You know, by the time Hannah was a senior, she was a completely different individual, right? And, and we transform because we think we figured out. But then we get into college, and we have to decide who we're going to be for the rest of our lives, or at least that's how they tell you it's supposed to work, right? And then you start taking classes that, that scaffold an ideology that might already exist, whether it's developed or not, Right? So, like, uh, you know, you take, you take the Myers-Briggs test or you do that thing that the counseling, they tell you. And they tell you, the counseling department at your high school tells you who you are. Remember that? And then you, you take that test and then you, you decide on your major based on that, based on preconceptions. And then you end up studying science or philosophy or some, something uh, based on who you think you are. And then you have a group of instructors who spend four years making sure that you are who you set out to be. And by the time you finish college, a lot of times your ideology is already so hardened that when someone comes to you with something as radical as the gospel, that it seems almost impossible to you. And we become wise men after the flesh simply because you took two semesters of philosophy and you know, you know, you know the name Williams, William James and you know, Voltaire, right? Like, and you think you're real smart. I mean, we're, you know, 
That's the world's wisdom. But listen to me, this is super important. We need to understand that for the wise, for the wise of this world, their pride is in what they know. And their knowledge prevents them from receiving Christ. And we know people like this. They've watched just enough YouTube videos and they've sat through just enough lectures to tell you that you're stupid. That you're foolish. We know, we know that, right? Man. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough, but that's our reality. Well, who else are we talking about here? Well, there's the mighty too, the mighty person. The mighty person is the type of person whose independence and personal discipline means that they rely on self-determination in order to achieve in life. I know, I, I mean, I've, I've got, a, you know, a lot of people in my life that are mighty. It's not just in physical strength, but it's just in, in mental strength and mental resolve, determination. Like, I'm going to make it in this world. I'm, I've got a plan. I'm going to work that plan, and I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to meet my expectations. I'm going to set goals. And, I'm, and they're so consumed with that way of thinking that there's no room for the strength of Christ. They've relied so heavily on their flesh for so long that they genuinely believe that they can give themselves whatever they think they need. And the only salvation that they need is in their own strong arm. This is someone who believes in the power of their own might and has no room for the cross because they they have their lives under control. They don't need help from God. They don't need help from you. They don't need your opinions. They don't need your thoughts. And they don't need God's help. Psalm 33, 16 says, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. So for the mighty, their pride is in what they can do. And their strength prevents them from receiving Christ. And then there's a third person here. That's the noble, the noble person. The noble person is the type of person whose social status and provision keeps them from needing anything beyond what they already have. Revelation chapter 3 uses the phrase rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. We know people like this. I remember I grew up in Lee Summit. I didn't have a whole lot of money, but there's a lot of wealthy people in the community where I grew up in Lee Summit. And I remember when I was first beginning to follow Jesus Christ, I was very zealous and I was sharing Christ with a lot of the people that I used to party with. Right? You guys tried that before. A lot of you guys tried that. That's a rough go. But if you could just win some. I want, I, God used me. I, there, some were one. Praise the Lord. But uh, so in high school, I remember there was, was this one friend of mine, Scott Bailey. We used to play basketball together. He lived down the street from another friend of mine that was a believer, Joe Medlin. And Joe and I would do ministry together. We, our prayer was that God would use us uh, to reach our friends. But one of the things I remember Joe saying is that, uh, and man, it took me off guard. Because I was so desperate to see uh, Scott saved. Uh, Joe said to me one time after a failed attempt at sharing the gospel that, that why, he said, why would Scott need God? He has everything he needs. Right? He had, a, he had a good family. He had money. He was successful. The girls liked him. Uh, he had a scholarship uh, for, for track and field. I mean, he was successful and he was on his way. Now, I know looking, you know, if we could all look back uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. 
uh, that's not Scott's reality now. I know that. I know that. But when I heard that for the first time, it, it, it cut me to the quick because it's true. It's true, isn't it? We all know people who they've got so much stuff and they're so popular or they're so, you know, they're so attractive or they're, they're wealthy enough or successful enough that they don't think that they need God. America is the most wealthy country per average household in the world. The majority of this room represents some of the greatest wealth on the entire planet. And you're like, Brandon, I've eaten ramen noodles every night this week for dinner. <laughs> How could that possibly be? It's true. Yes. It's true. You are, you know, you know, I'm not saying everybody in here is wealthy, okay? What I'm saying is just by virtue of being in America and earning American wages, even at your part-time job, at wherever it is, puts you in terms of wealth far beyond most of the world. Yes. And so the, the thing with that, though, is that what comes with that is a lot of comfort. A lot of comfort comes with that, a lot of surety, a lot of security, if you will. And in that security... We refuse Christ because we're not desperate for anything. There's no urgency to know him. The noble has no room for the cross because anything they need, they find in their friends, family, or finances. Now, now Jesus met a guy like this once. Mm -hmm. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus uh, meets this fella who wants to follow him. He wants to follow him. And he thinks, he's got, he thinks he's got it figured out. He thinks he's got a plan to follow Jesus Christ. But his plan, uh, his plan didn't stack up to what God's expectations for him were. So let's, let's read this in Mark 10, 17. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit, inherit eternal life? Everybody wants that, don't they? Yes. You know? I don't know anybody that doesn't want to live forever. Um, and so that's what he wants. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. He's testing him here. He wants to know what this man's perspective of him is. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Which I love that statement. Yes. So this guy is so confused, you know? This guy's saying all the things that he thinks are right, all the things that he thinks are religious. He's so confused and so mixed up. And you think, man, how could Jesus tolerate this guy's nonsense? And he loved him, you know? And said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Okay, so here's the test. Okay, here's the test. Do you really want to follow me? You know, Jesus is about to give up everything for us, for him, for this man. He's about to give up everything. Are you willing to, as my other disciples did, drop your stuff to follow? One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up thy cross and follow me. And he, and he was sad at that saying. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. 
But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Powerful. Tough. Tough to hear. So we wonder why it's so difficult in America for people to receive Jesus Christ. Why is it so difficult? You know? And there's your answer. So listen, for the noble, their pride is in what they have. And their security prevents them from receiving Christ. And so we know people just like all these people, right? We know the wise. We know the mighty. We know the noble. We encounter these people all the time. And we recognize that there's one consistent truth. It's that pride keeps them from following Jesus Christ. And so here's our key point. And we have to know this. This is actually a, a quote from a missionary named Andrew Murray. Okay? He was a missionary to South Africa. And this is what, this is what he said. Is it in there? We got it? Okay. There we go. Okay. Pride must die in you before heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you before heaven can live in you. Before you can become a resident of the kingdom of God, before the Holy Spirit can dwell in you and seal you until the day of redemption, there's something that has to happen in every person before you receive Jesus Christ and follow him. And that is you have to die to you, to your wants, your objectives, your ambitions. You have to die to them. Because in saying yes to Jesus, you say no to a lot of other things in your life. You say no to your wisdom. You say no to your might. And you say no to your nobility. Do you understand? Matthew 18.3 is a parallel to this key point. And so here, here we have Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says in verse 3 of Matthew 18, he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children... Ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever therefore shall hum, uh, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You got to become like a child in your heart, in your attitude, in your posture towards God. You got to humble yourself to that level. Now, listen. Just as there's a type of person that resists the gospel, there is also a certain type of person that receives it. It's this child. And God has a plan for every believer who steps into that calling. He wants to use you. Okay, so here comes. This is the thrust of what we're talking about today. He wants to use you, despite what you think of yourself. Despite, you know, despite how you see yourself. He wants to use you. Amen. Now, we got to remember that the church in Corinth was an eclectic mi mixture of people, wasn't it? There was rich and poor. There were masters and a servant class, right? In, in this church together, you know? There was poor and there was rich coming together to worship. Very eclectic group of people. And when we say poor, we mean poor. I mean slavery poor. Worshiping in the same place. This is, this is who they were in their flesh, now, despite their salvation, there was a fleshly identity that felt like that was going to keep them from the privilege of serving God. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever experience that too? Does that resonate with you? I mean, 
Certainly in Corinth, there were people who doubted their usefulness. When they saw the higher class individuals in the church, certainly the, the thought would be that this person is more useful for the kingdom. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that, you think, be that the initial thought? I mean, we see those types of problems even within the church context here in Corinth. We'll get there later. But the point is that we struggle with the same things, right? We do that too. And we look at other people, we compare ourselves to other people in ministry and in life, and they say, that person's got it put together. Of course, they can be useful for God. But me, I don't know about me. You know, I've messed up again this week. I treated someone poorly again this week. I'm not as smart. I'm not as good. I'm not as well-behaved. I'm not as good-looking or whatever it is, right? If that was a qualification, I would not, this would not be where I'd be standing, Right? But that's the way we think in our flesh. We think that way. And I know you felt that way, too. You, you look at your, your life and you doubt whether or not God could ever use you. Maybe you compare yourself to other people here in this ministry. How could God ever use me? Well, Paul's about to teach us. Paul's about to teach us. In verse 27, he says that he, can, he chooses the foolish things and, then he, can, and he can use them. Verse 27 but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the fool. God chose the fool in you and me. Those with little to no education, those of low estate and acceptance, those who are, who are perceived as ignorant. Listen, I'll tell you right now, just by virtue of being a pastor, it doesn't matter how many master's degrees or doctorates I get, I will always be perceived as foolish in the eyes of the world. No matter how smart I get, you know, they're still going to see the same thing, a Jesus follower. But I'm the type of person that God wants to use. And, and a lot of times, we, you know, in this room, there are all different types of people. I'm going to use Alex as an example because he likes to give himself a hard time. And I believe that he's grown in this area. May I use you as an example? <clears throat> Alex was... Um, um, <laughs> In high school, Alex was not a focused student. He kept taking my classes. I kept giving him B's because I liked him. <laughs> I liked him. Dude, you got so lucky in my class, by the way. <laughs> Senior year, when you were out for surgery for like two months and you came back, and you're like, I'm about to graduate. What's going on? Um, but, you know, he, 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 in times past, he'd give himself a hard time, like as though he, he struggles with learning, right? He had convinced himself of that over time. But I don't know a better student of God's word in this entire room. And uh, I see him taking LFBI classes. I see him figuring that thing out. I know he's not prone to that kind of learning, fast-paced lecture environment with assignments and whatnot, but he's learned how to do it. You know what? I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because the truth is all of us are fools. All of us are ignorant and none of us are smart enough. You know, but we're the ones that God's chosen. You know, and not just chosen, but, but he's made us to confound the world. You know, in Acts chapter 4, uh, we, hear, we hear the uh, religious elite 
referring to Peter and John in the following way. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I like that. I like that. I might not be able to sit through, uh, you know, a master's level course in college, but I can sit with Jesus, you know, I can know him. God has chosen to use the ones who others call fools. And he chose the fool that they might confound or silence. That word means silence those that are proud, those whom the world admires. See, he wants to use you in this way. And why not? After all, when the proud and arrogant Balaam chose to disobey God and play the traitor against Israel... All it took was the mouth of a donkey to silence him. And if God can use a donkey, I mean, the word is ass, let's just say it. It has more punch, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible says ass. It means a she-donkey, okay? Right? That he could probably find a way Somehow, in his power and might to use you. And yet we often believe that we're not smart enough or we just don't know how to speak or or we don't know the words that we're going to use. And you know what? Jesus tells his disciples, you know what he tells them? Don't be worried about what you're going to say. Because in the moment that you need to say it, my spirit will reveal it to you. That's a good promise. So for those of us who are afraid to speak about our faith because we're not sure if we're going to sound smart enough or we don't have our apologetic down. By the way, we're offering apologetics in LFBI this semester. That's a new thing that we're doing, isn't it? Respect. Oh, yeah. Um, man, God wants to use you to speak truth to people. And uh, he's not worried about what you know. Next it says the weak. He wants to use the weak. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God chose the weak. Those without power, authority, and influence to confound and prevail against earthly kings. I mean fishermen. Face to face with kings. Telling, telling mighty men of the earth that they're wrong and they're... You guys remember John the Baptist? That dude had no right to march in there and tell, and tell that king, look, bro, you're fornicating. You're going to hell. You better get this figured out. God's not pleased with you. Head chopped off, done. Unafraid. A weak man. Strong in God. He wants to use us in just this way. And why not? After all, God used a lowly Esther, a woman of humble estate, to turn the heart of a king. And God used fishermen to turn the world upside down. And he used a pile of dirt and a single breath to start a counter-revolution against Satan himself. 
2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God has liberated you. You don't need to be a respecter of persons. He's made you to be mighty despite your weaknesses, despite your disabilities, despite your setbacks. He wants to use your weakness for his glory. Three, the base and despised. 28, and base base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea. The word base means those without family or descent. Isn't that interesting? Meaning these are people with no nobility, no significance of lineage, and no wealth. The word despised means counted as nothing. That's even worse, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to not have, you know, a lot of money or, you know, be famous. But it's a whole other thing to be despised. You know, counted as nothing. That's, That's a big deal. The base and despised are those of the lowest esteem. Contemptuous, contemptuous and disgraceful before, before society. The world pours shame and neglect on those that they've orphaned. That's what you are. You're an orphan of the world if you follow Christ. Yeah. But the beauty is that those whom the world has thrown away, those without a family or, or, or a family that, that has embraced them or a lineage uh, uh, that's noble in any way, they found a home in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And are strengthened by his care. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also Uh, be also glorified together. We are in his family. He's adopted us. The world might say we're nobody, but to him, we're his children. And that's a big deal. And he's chosen us. He's chosen us out of the world. You know that the world orphans everyone, by the way? And pop music is actually a great place to see this. When I was young, okay, I mean, I can name 50 famous rappers from when I was young that no one cares about. The only reason y'all care about DMX is because he died, okay? And no one said DMX's name for like 15 years. No, no one knew who, he was getting fat somewhere doing something else. You guys remember Mace, Puff Daddy's friend? You know? He's the one who always is like, Shimmy. No, you don't know him. Of course you don't. I do. I remember vividly. You remember Mace. (laughs) Because the the world throws their own away. You understand? They throw them away. They're garbage. They get used up and they're done. But we have the privilege of being chosen. I mean, hmm. for those of you who are estranged from your parents or you're like me, your dad kind of threw you away, man, that means all the, all the more to me 
I'm so glad to know that I have a father that's chosen me. The fourth one's a little bit strange. Okay? The not. The not. And things which are not to bring to not things that are. I love that. I love that. Man, those King James translators, they were something else, boy. And, th- and things which are not to bring to not things that are. The not refers particularly to those Gentiles that would have been considered dogs in the eyes of the religious Jews. The not, the despised. The not were no longer on the outside. Isn't that interesting? The ones that were on the outside looking in, they no longer were. They'd been accepted in Christ. They were a part of what he was doing. The forbidden people were adopted in Jesus. The not are all those that have been received. And thus, because of their acceptance in Jesus Christ, tear down the pride of religious systems all around them, academic systems, scientific, and creative systems, they live outside of it. They live outside of those constraints. Man, do you understand how great that is? This other word not, it means to abolish. So God uses the not to bring to not or abolish the pretenses of the world. The high snobiety, right? Is that how they say it? Right? To bring that down, to tear it down. It was divine grace bestowed upon those who were dishonorable. It was that divine grace bestowed upon us that made us honorable. Those without, made divine, given wisdom, given power, and given the ability to undermine the whole entire lost world. Your life is intended to be distinct, to be set apart. The testimony of your life, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you carry yourself, the things that you live for are countercultural. And you, just by virtue of living and speaking, are supposed to be revolutionary everywhere you go. That's who he made you to be. That's who he chose you to be. And that leads us to our key point that summarizes all of this. Faith and humility... Make foolish people wise for God's glory. And that's what it requires, doesn't it? Faith and humility. To humble yourself. To believe. To believe that God wants to use you. To own the promises that he speaks over your life. You have to believe those things. And you have to humble yourself enough to yield to his power and his movement. If he tells you that he wants to choose you to confound the wise, then you probably should anticipate that he'll use you to do that. You should probably speak and act in a way that anticipates that. You need to yield to him. And it is about God's glory, isn't it? It is God's glory that disgraces the pride of all mankind. Verse 29, he says it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So he wants to use, this is what he's getting at. Why does he want to use you? Why does he want to use you? You're so unqualified. You're so so unworthy to be used by God. Why does he want to use you? Because he knows that if he uses the weak things of the world, it only just brings that starker of a contrast in terms of his ability versus the world's. It only highlights, it only spotlights in a greater way 
the power that he holds and his divine grace and mercy. That's why he chooses the weak people. That's why he does that. Now here's the thing, Christian. You were chosen, okay, you were chosen for a work. That's what you were chosen for. You were chosen to do a thing. Now he called you before that. He called you into salvation, but then he chooses you for a work. You understand? And he's called all of humanity to salvation. He's called us, but you've received. You've received that salvation. And now he's chosen you to do a work. But here's the problem. If you start relying on your flesh and you, and you let your way get in the way of God's glory, like we talked about last week, then, then you're going to mess everything up. And so we've got to be very, very careful to understand God's glory in this context because it isn't about you. And it isn't about your unworthiness and your weakness and your lack of might and your lack of nobility and, oh, woe is me, and I'm just a lowly servant of God. It's not even about that. Even in that, there's pride, you understand? There's a lot of the, some of the proudest people I know are the most self-deprecating people I know. It's not even about that. It's not about that. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. It's about God's glory. It has to be about that. So there's a couple things that you have to understand about God's glory. First of all, you need to be in awe of it. Yes. You have to be in awe of God's glory. Psalm 29.2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. You've got to be in awe. You've got to be, you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to think romantically about who Jesus Christ is. And I don't use that in the, you know, love actually sense, right? I mean it in, I mean it in, the, in the truest sense. You have to have a heart that's, that's huge towards the living God. And when you see him at work, you are in awe of him. He's majestic. When you see his creation... He is majestic. When you see him working in other people's lives and, and he uses you and he does things and he's moving in the world and you hear a testimony of a believer and you see God's handiwork, you look at his word and you see how perfect it is and how, how he's preserved it in every single way and you look at it and you say, this is the most complex thing that exists in this entire planet. The human genome has nothing on the complexity of this. And you look at it, and your jaw drops, and your heart swells, and you are in awe of God. That's what we're talking about. Don't ever lose that. If you lose that, you're in danger of pride. The other thing is, you can't ever boast in the power of your flesh. So God uses you, and you can't ever take credit for that. You've got to be careful for that. Now we fall all over ourselves, and we act stupid about it sometimes. Someone says, hey, that was a great sermon today, Brandon. And you're like, oh, glory be to God. In the highest. Thank you, brother. You know, you don't want to be weird, but what we want to do is make sure that we're always deflecting up because it is about Jesus Christ. And I don't have any power, right? And he is good to me. And I'm thankful for the fact that he wants to use me, but it is about him. It's not about anything I can boast in. And we know that that's true because there'll be no boasters in heaven. Will there be? Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath, hath before ordained that we should walk in. 
Isaiah 10, 15 says, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify himself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? I don't use a saw a lot in my life. But if I did, I would be very shocked if my saw rebelled against me. It's a tool in the hand of, well, not in my case, not the master, but it's a tool. And you, likewise, are a tool in the hand of a master. You are the clay in a potter's wheel. You are made to be a vessel of righteousness. That's what he's making you to be. So you don't get to boast in that. You are his workmanship, created under Christ Jesus. We boast in nothing. So look at the whole of this verse here, verse 29, 1 Corinthians. It says, that no flesh should glory in his presence, verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, whom of God has made unto, uh, unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's done all that for us. What have you done for you? But like wander around the earth aimlessly. I mean, what have you done for you? These are all the, this is what he's done. He is our wisdom, he's our righteousness, he's our sanctification and our redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So God wants to use you, but you have to have the right heart because you can get in his way. He wants to use you to confound the wise. He wants to use you. And so, you know, in closing, I want to I point this out. There's a couple things I want to say, okay? The first thing is this. If you are a believer today, and you recognize that you, uh, your self-worth tends to be low or your self-confidence is low, um, and you're hard on yourself, and you look around and you do find yourself comparing yourself to other people in ministry, people you think are, are maybe smarter than you, and you're doing that to the point where it actually is, you find it it's suspending you from following Christ the way that you should then today is the day to humble yourself. Well, humble myself. I'm, I mean, I feel like I've already been humbled. I'm weak. I mean, I don't know how to do anything. I'm clueless. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in discipleship. It's, it's hard. It's hard work. I don't know how to follow God. Oh, and I feel like I've been... No, no, no. Humble yourself. That doesn't mean feel like crap. <laughs> humble yourself. Choose to be broken before him. Because he wants to use you despite your weaknesses. And if that's you today, if you recognize that you struggle with understanding who you are to God, then today is the day to humble yourself in prayer. And as we go into worship, you need to grab hold of somebody, one of the leaders that will be standing up here, and enter into a season of prayer where you can confess before God, Lord, I know that, that I have self-doubt and I have a hard time believing that your promises are true for me. I have a hard time knowing that I'm chosen. Lord, would you teach me how to be and function as the chosen one, as the one that, that can live the way you want me to. Will you show me how to do that? I need your grace. But there are also those of you in the room who actually are, are categorized by the first group of people 
that we spoke of at the beginning of the sermon, the ones that are wise, the ones that are mighty, the ones that are noble, and you recognize that you've refused Christ time and time again, and that you've struggled to accept him, not even because you don't believe, but because you know if you do, it'll get in the way of you. Isn't that the reason why most people don't accept Jesus Christ? Because they know that if they do, that he'll somehow infringe on their liberties. He'll get in the way of their own personal view of themselves. And he might mix that up and mess it up. And he might mess up a good thing. No, you're not a good thing. What you've got going is not good. And your wisdom and your might and your nobility, they amount to nothing before the creator of the world. And so I want to I share, share this with you real quick because I believe this verse speaks into your situation. Matthew 19, 13 says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That statement's very important. I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In other words, he's looking for Sinners. People who know that they lie and they feel, they feel it in their soul. They feel the darkness of that. They, they know that they're, they're having sex with people that they're not married to. He's looking for people who recognize that, they're, that they're, they abuse alcohol and they treat people poorly. And, and they know, they know their station and their lot in life. He's looking for sinners. He's looking for the, for the wicked and the depraved and the people who struggled to follow him or, or came up in a home that taught them all the wrong things. He's looking for the ignorant. He's looking for, the, for the, 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 the people that lack strength or they don't know how to move forward in life. He's looking for the people who are ready to repent of them. That's who he's looking for. And I would ask you and I would beg you that you for a moment might put aside all the things that you think you know. All the things that you think you've been taught in university. All the things that you thought you learned along the way or the strength of your own. You'd put those things aside for a moment. That you might humble yourself and choose Jesus Christ. Would you, would you suspend your doubt for just a moment to consider that? You know, when I was young, I learned this verse. Many people in here have. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He wants to save you. And if you know that you need saving today, would you come forward and meet with someone? I want to invite Alex and the worship team up. And they're going to lead us in worship. And there'll be a lot of people standing, singing, glorifying God's name. But there'll also be a group of people that are just standing around at the back of the room and the front of the room. And these are counselors in the ministry. These are just people that we've trained to handle God's word. If you recognize right now that you need Jesus Christ to save you of the sin that you have in your heart, would you grab a hold of somebody and pray with them today? And would you work through your doubt Right? Even if you just come forward to ask questions, there's no pressure. Just come forward and ask questions, things that you don't understand about the Bible, things that you don't understand about Jesus. Just come forward and ask those questions. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. This is just a room of weak people. It's just a room of weak people. And if you know you've, you're, you're, you're burdened this morning to deal with something, come forward, grab a hold of someone, and let's get it dealt with. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this group. Uh, there's a lot of people in the room today, uh, God, that, that I don't know. I've, I, I've, I've maybe only just met um, people I haven't met yet, people, faces that I don't recognize, and, and I don't know where they're at, you know. And there's people that I do recognize, people that have been in the ministry a while that, you know, I can't, I can't possibly know where their heart is. And so, Lord, I, I'm asking right now that you would teach us to humble ourselves uh, wherever we may be in our mind. Um, Lord, there's people in the room that are resisting, certainly. They're, they're frustrated and angry at the very content of this sermon. Uh, there's people that, that have refu- refused before they even entered the room. And I, I, don't, I can't do anything about that. I'm just the weak one. You're the one that has all the glory. You're the one with all the power. And so I just come to you and say, Lord, would you do the things that only you know how to do? And would you use your word to, to turn hearts and help people to see that just like me and just like everyone in this room, that they are sinners and that they have no right to pride and they have no right to wisdom and they have no right to strength because, because your wisdom and your strength um, are so much greater than our own. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would work in hearts. That's, that's it. That's my request. That you would break hardened hearts, people that are afraid to do what's right. Would you move them with your spirit and draw them into relationship with you in a way that they could have never, ever imagined? I, I pray all this in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.